You're listening to a Cripple and Co. production. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Clonawilly.com. Clonawilly and Clonopussy are do-it-yourself molding kits that allow anyone to make an exact replica of any penis or vulva into a sex toy at home. All materials are ethically sourced and 100% body safe. If you shop at clonawilly.com right now and use the promo code DARKPOD at checkout, you can get 20% off site-wide. Wow! That's a deal that cannot be cloned. I talked to one of the representatives the other day, and they are more than willing to answer any questions you have about how to make your own clone willy or clone pussy, how to use the kit. They're so, so willing to go on this journey of cloning a willy or cloning a pussy with you. And they're super nice and super responsive to any concerns. So if you want to pick up your own clone willy or clone a pussy kit right now, head over to clonawilly.com and use promo code DARKPOD. That's D-A-R-K-P-O-D at checkout right now. And remember... This is a deal that cannot be cloned. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Come As You Are. Come As You Are is Canada's only worker-owned co-op sex shop. Trans-owned and operated, Come As You Are carefully reviews and curates their selection of sex toys, books, and DVDs. Now you can get 15% off your next purchase at comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Hey there, Disability After Dark listeners. Before we start the show, I wanted to let you know about another disability podcast that I think you'll love. The disability community is not a monolith. Within the community, there's people of different views, beliefs, and identities, and each individual person with a disability has a story to tell. And that's why we're here. Our podcast, You First by Disability Rights Florida, features firsthand interviews with disabled guests, scholars, and advocates covering a wide variety of disability-related issues. We have episodes on voting access, mental health, ableism in academia, disability and reproductive justice, disabled art, accessible video gaming, and much more. Our goal? To have you take away a new perspective on disability and bring awareness and insight to the world around you. You can listen to our latest episodes wherever you're listening now or visit us at disabilityrightsflorida.org forward slash podcast to learn more and find transcripts of all of our episodes. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. This is a podcast that looks at disability stories. It's like sitting down with a really close friend to have a real conversation about disability, sexuality, and everything else about the disability experience that we don't talk about. The things about being disabled, we keep in the dark. Here is your deliciously disabled host, disability awareness consultant, Andrew Gerza. Hello, hello, friends, and welcome to the show, friends, and thank you so much for clicking on this brand new episode of Disability After Dark, episode 335. Wow, already we're at 335. Wow, that feels wow. That feels like a lot of episodes in fucking seven years. Wow, we did it. Um, Thank you so much for being here and listening to the podcast that shines a bright light on disability stories. I am your disabled host, Andrew Gerza. Let us get comfy, cozy, and crippled. And get today started. I'm so happy that this intro is actually, it looks like it's recording because I've spent the last 20 minutes fighting with the amp to get it to work. So I'm so glad that you're actually here and hopefully that as I'm looking at this, it's recording and you're hearing the words that are coming out of my mouth hole. Um, Alright, so let's get comfy, cozy, and crippled and try to record the intro and hopefully it works. So hey, if you want to get the show a couple days early, completely ad-free, you can go to patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark and pledge as little as $1 a month or up to $5 a month or more to keep the bright lights shining on of the pro- a program like this. I've decided, I used to do it one day early, but I've decided as soon as I'm done 
editing the show and putting it together, I'm going to put it out for the Patreon. So if you want to get it a few days early, because I generally do it a few days early, um, I try to do it a few days early, because disability is real, but I try to do it a few days early. If you want to get the show a few days early, consider signing up and pledging to the show. And for your pledge, you'll get a shout-out on the air that is more awkward than it is sexy, and um, I'd love to shout you out, so consider pledging if you're able. There's also a yearly amount for your budget if that's more accessible to you. I would love your pledge. Thanks so much. But now, let's get to some more things I want to say. Uh, it is August when I'm recording this, August 1st. This comes out August 6th. Um, so, it's the end of Disability Pride Month, but I say fuck that. Disability Pride can happen all months of the year, and we should be having it all months of the year. So if you're like, oh no, July's over, Disability Pride is over. No, no, Disability Pride can happen every month of every year. It should happen every day. And you should try to think about Disability Pride every day. But also, if you're disabled, it's okay to not be proud of your disabilities. It's okay to have weird, big, complex feelings about all that. It's okay. Because if, you if you're disabled and you were like me and you were like, I love being disabled, but I hate a lot of parts of it. That's okay, too. Um, what else do I want to say? I, you know, well, we've been doing the show every two weeks for a while, and I love that. But I do want to do something different for the next little bit. I want to do, um, I'm changing the name of the show, Great Flicks and Joysticks. I'm changing it to Popcorn and Power Chairs. That's where I review movies about disability every week or shows about disability or media about disability. So on the off weeks when you don't hear the regular Disability After Dark guest shows or other shows that I want to do, I'm probably going to do episodes of Popcorn and Power Chairs. So I'd love to hear from you what kind of movies and what kind of shows you want me to review and talk about. And if you want to if you want to come on and be a guest to do episodes like that, email me at andrewandandrewgerza.com and let me know what you think. And let me know what shows I should review, what movies I should review, and of course, if you want to be a guest, I would love to hear from you. I'm also going to be doing more episodes that are just me standalone, because... Those are fun for me to do. Those are fun for me to share my thoughts with you, and I don't have to. I don't have to book a guest, so you will be hearing a, a warm mix and mashup of different types of episodes as we move along with this show. But enough of my show housekeeping rambling. Let's get on with today's show. So get comfy, cozy, and crippled, because here we go. Let's shine a bright light on disability right now. On the show today, I pulled out an episode that I recorded last July. I recorded an episode with a new friend of mine, Kate McLennan, who is a person in their 20s who is living with with a host of disabilities. In the show, I say Kate has a disability starter pack or a starter pack of disabilities, if you will. She has CMT and Bichette's, and she ta she talks about shame and disability and how all of that connects for her and feeling, moving through disability and trying to feel okay with being disabled and how she was raised around disability. And we talk about so much more, so many different things, but I think it was so, it's so cool for me to talk to the younger generation of people with disabilities and see how they're navigating all that. And Kate had such a vibrant, fun spirit. We had a lot of fun doing this interview. And talking to her about CMT and Bichette's and shame and disability was really important. And I'm excited to bring that to you. So without further ado, here's my interview with my friend, Kate McLennan, talking about their starter pack of disabilities right here on Disability After Dark. And... Kate McLennan, hello. Hi, Andrew. Thanks for having me here. Of course. So nice to have you on the show. You and I connected because I just did a little side project with your uncle, which I can't really talk about, but I did. I did it. So cool. Yay. Uh, 
and here we are. So very nice to have you, and it was really nice to get your email a few weeks ago, and I'm here. I'm glad we're finally doing it. Yay! Me too. I'm really glad I'm here. Um, awesome. So for the people listening, can you just give us a little intro into who you are and what you do? Totally. So my name is Kate McLennan. Um, I'm a white woman. I'm 25 years old. Um, I have a physical disability as well as some chronic illnesses. Um, I'll kind of describe what I look like too. So I have pretty long, kind of dirty blonde hair, lots of tattoos, got this septum piercing that I'm loving right now. Um, so I'm a student, so I'm just finishing up a bachelor's degree. I have one semester left, um, but I really love writing. So I try to do a lot of writing kind of for myself. And that's kind of something I'm hoping to build on more once I graduate. Cool. You should do some um, disability writing because we need more of that. Oh, what else would I write about? <laughs> yeah, right. Isn't it the best? It's really so yeah. fun. Like, you should, what kind of writing do you like to do? Like, What's your like genre? Uh, I kind of like to do some kind of like fiction writing. I also like poetry, but I really will write about anything. So kind of what I've been trying to do more is just like kind of starting to record some of my own experiences. So a bit more autobiography style, but mainly just kind of things from my childhood I don't want to forget. You should put it on, you should open like a TikTok and just put all that shit in there because then... Yeah, I see, and I would, except I'm so, like, shy in front of a camera, but maybe one day I'll work my way up to that. Yeah, that way you just have forever, and then if you, that way you, like, because disability and writing, like, writing as a disabled person, because I write a lot, too, it's fucking hard, it's hard. It's hard. It's really hard. And, like, TikTok, you can just talk to the camera, and there it is. So like, It's maybe, so true. Um, you mentioned fiction, are you thinking about doing any, like, any, like romantic fiction what kind of fiction is your thing Ooh, see I haven't even thought about it too much usually I kind of will just go off of like something you know that's kind of based off an experience I have but maybe kind of more like a metaphorical situation to describe it like I kind of like things like that um but I read this book recently called Hench it's so good I'd say anyone with a disability I would recommend reading it it's like it's not necessarily about disability, but there's so many themes of disability within it. So I'd love if I could ever Ooh. write something kind of like that. It's kind of a sci-fi book. I like that. I think I think sci-fi and disability have such a cool place together, and like there's so much overlap. It's I I always love it when people bring in disability themes into sci-fi because I'm like, oh yeah, we can apply this to like today, and it could be yes. for the future. Like that's really cool. I if I was to ever write something. I would want to, I am like the anxiest writer in the ever. So I want to do something like, I'd want to do like high school in a wheelchair. What's it like to yes. be 15 in a wheelchair user? Like, well, that's, I'm honestly, I've been thinking for years about doing a young adult novel about like high school in a wheelchair and just what it's like to be 14, 15 and try to have romance and try to have yes. like school stuff and all the stuff that teenagers go through plus disability. Yeah. And, like, in most, like, young adult novels and stuff, when they talk about that, like, disability is never part of it. So I think something yeah. like that would be so needed. I'm the same as you. I would say I'm more of, like, an emo writer. So I would have – I can see myself writing something similar. Oh, yeah. I mean, maybe we could – we should collab and we should do one together. That would be really cool. We could compare our experiences or something of t- and, teenage years. And then, yeah, I mean, being a teenager was rough. Uh, rough for everybody, but plus – Disability is the worst. Not the worst, but, you know, being a teenager is yeah. always the worst. Um, so let's jump right in. The first thing I like to ask all my guests, just so we can get a kind of understanding of your experience, can you share with us what your disabilities are, describe them a little bit, and share with us how they play a role in your day-to-day life? For sure. So I'm really actually excited to talk about my, like, the main disease I have, my neuromuscular disease, just because I think I'm the first person on your podcast who has this. And kind of, I'll talk about it more, but this disease, like, isn't really that uncommon. It usually affects, like, one in 2,500 kids that are born. So it's about as prevalent as MS, but like barely anyone has like ever heard of my disease. So I hope that maybe by putting this out there, a few more people hear of it. But so I have a neuromuscular disease called Charcot-Marie Tooth. So it's a really weird name. It has nothing to do with teeth. That's just the names of three doctors who got the credit for our Of course, disease. of course. But um, yeah, of course. so what my disease is, is mainly um, 
it affects my whole peripheral nervous system. So all the nerves that go from like my muscles to my brain, there's an issue with the myelin. So the myelin breaks down so they can't communicate. So it pretty much causes nerve damage. So then that causes like my muscles to atrophy, muscle weakness. I have a lot of nerve pain. Um, so that's kind of, I'd say most of the, uh, yeah, how it kind of affects me with the neuromuscular disease. So I yeah. wear like ankle foot orthotics to walk. So it's kind of like a carbon fiber leg brace scenario. Um, oh yeah, and, AFOs. Yeah, AFOs. exactly. AFOs. The listeners and, will dev- we know what they are. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they know what they are. And my disease is one of those weird ones that kind of comes in like a package. So like I also have like scoliosis and like a bunch of other kind of side Cool, me too. Scoliosis. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. <laughs> so it's really interesting because even like I was diagnosed in like 1999. So even like since then, um, like I was two years old since then, like there's so many more things that they've added in. Like I was also born with like hip dysplasia and um, like I've had some like cool. IBS and stuff like that. And they've kind of said at a lot of points in my life they were like oh that has nothing to do with this disease like that's something else but then now Mm. it's like it's they're starting to see a lot of these things go together so that's kind of my first disease my second disease is called basets um or basets it's kind of hard to say but it's an autoimmune disease and this is the one that honestly is like harder for me to talk about just because I feel more shame about it for no reason really but kind of what it does is it causes like inflammation and ulcers on like mucous membranes so it's like the lining of my mouth my genitals and also my stomach and so that's kind of why I feel a bit more less uncomfortable or sorry less comfortable talking about it um just because it can cause like ulcers and stuff like that so a lot of the time like I'll have like five to seven ulcers in my mouth like at all times which can be really painful it's like hard to talk you know hard to eat drink all that kind of stuff and then like make out with the cute person like how do you do all that yeah yeah exactly and it's like they're always coming and going so it's like pretty much like every day when I wake up it's just like what will be the new like wounds that I have today and so they're not oh, as common no. on the genitals, but when I do get them, it's like really tough because I literally like I can't wear pants pretty much. Like I need to be wearing like very soft, stretchy pants. Loose. Like it's hard yeah. to fit, all that kind of stuff. So like that's always hard because especially explaining like to work or like friends of like if I can't come, like I don't want to tell people that. Yeah, I you can't be ulcer. like my genital, my my off, my ulcers are hurting right now. Like yeah. Like, yeah exactly so that's that's pretty tough and then just like kind of on top of that I definitely have like dealt with mental illness my whole life so I think since I was about like eight years old was kind of when I first started noticing getting depressed so like I've dealt a lot with like depression and anxiety um throughout my life as well so that's kind of part of my disability as well I'd say and how do you like so you have a fun package of disabilities all together you have like the you have like a nice starter pack of disabilities yes but like when you said you were two in 1999, I cringed because I was, I was 14. So like I, I feel so old right now. But also like, oh. but like, thank you so much for sharing the for sharing your like experience of and being vulnerable. Because I mean, having having sores on your genitals because of something that isn't an SCI, and even if you did have an SCI, like we shouldn't be shaming people. But I know how our culture works, and being able like talking about that. People are like, oh, that's, oh. Exactly. It's like just because of where it is on my body, it's like I can't even tell people what my symptoms or disease are. Like, you know, a lot of the time I just, I don't tell people the name because I'm like, I don't want you to go Google it and then just like wonder about my genitals. (laughs) Yeah. You know. How do do you feel about people? Because people have said to me all the time and I hear a lot of other disabled people say like, oh, they could just Google my disability. How do you feel about that? Yeah, like I, I've always, I've had such a hard relationship with it. And I guess kind of when I was growing up, like I was never really taught so much about disability or even taught to see myself as disabled because I was kind of always on like the line where it's like, you're okay enough that you just shouldn't talk about it, you know, and just yeah. kind of hide it, that sort of thing. So it's taken me like a really long time um, to like get more comfortable with being open with it but even still like my neuromuscular disease causes like a lot of um foot deformities so like a lot of like bones on my feet are deformed so even with that you know it's like I'm I am ashamed just that if people will google it and then just know that about me and things like that so I'm always just kind of trying to you know overcome that like internalized ableism aspect of it so 
I would say to you as a as a fellow like lifelong disabled person and also somebody with deformed feet, I have curly toes. I took my nice. toes curl yeah. over into, into each other. So I get that. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I would say like try not to overcome the internalized ableism. I think you're allowed to have days where it fucking sucks and you don't like it and it's okay. Like I think we have this overarching like need to say, oh, I have to overcome this. I have to like be a superhero and move past it. I say to that, I say, no, don't do that. Yeah. Just be, just like sit with it. I know that's fucking hard, but I think that might help you come into like the disability experience more yeah. of just sitting with it and being like, I don't like this, but at least, at least I'm breathing. At least I'm here. At least like things are happening, even if they suck, at least they're happening. Yeah. Well, that's what I appreciate about your podcast so much too, is just like not sugarcoating over things because I think like, you know, the way that I was raised, it's always just like, be proud, you know, don't be ashamed, all those types of things. It's like when you have all these things that are stigmatized and like make you ashamed, it's not something that you just think your way out of, you know? Oh no, it's, it can be, it can be really hard. And I think like, and I I don't think it's easy to sit, like what I'm saying to sit with your stuff is not easy. It's not something that's going to, going to like, yeah, I'll just do it and I'll be fine tomorrow. Like, no, no, that's going to take time. So I think like you just kind of experiencing it and getting a place maybe in your writing to talk about the shame, talk about the internalized ableism. I think the more and more we talk about that, especially from younger, the younger generation with disabilities, like having language to talk about that is important. Yeah. Like, Maybe. Exactly. And I really feel like I never had language to talk about like almost all of my disability experience until I was like 20 to 21. So only like four to five years ago. So it's like, I can see like how much my life has improved, you know, since that has happened and since I've been able to talk about it a bit more. So it's definitely something that's been positive for me. I'm so glad. Um, I'm going to switch up the order of my questions because I want to sure. ask you this right now. Because like, we talked a little bit about the hard stuff I want to kind of do a flip what about being disabled brings you disability joy yeah okay so I'm really glad that you asked this question um yeah I think like probably just the thing that's brought me the most joy has just been able to like ex- appreciate so many different experiences in life and that's something that's kind of carried over for like everything in my life where it's like no matter what kind of things that I've faced and whatever it's like knowing that I can still like love my life with disability and all I think that just like brings such an important like perspective to how I kind of look at everything so I think that has like that helps me so much and just like you know kind of filtering out some of the stuff that doesn't matter so much um I have a lot of like chronic fatigue so I'd say like one of my most joyful things is just being able to rest as much as I need to and not feeling guilty for resting literally makes me so happy like I tweeted this yesterday, but rest is a right and we fucking deserve it. And we've exactly. Our, we've, well, and that's to me, I'm like, I don't know if rest even like it's a right, but you know, it is also something that kind of brings me joy. Like, I don't mean to say it's joyful as in it's like not a right. Um, this is a no, really big random disability joy thing, but like I got a cat a year ago and she is so tired. All she does is sleep. And so that has brought me so much joy because every time I'm like, you know what? I cannot keep doing this. I'm so tired. I need to lay down. There is someone else in my house who's already laying down and napping and I can lay down with her. And it just like honestly makes me feel not guilty because I'm like, she sleeps all day and I love her and that doesn't change any of her value. And the same goes for me. I love it. My friend has my friend with my other friend with disabilities. Kristen has a cat and I make fun of her because I don't love her cat. Her cat does not love me, but I, and so we have a love hate relationship with this cat and I. And so I'll tell her now, like every time your cat naps, you can nap too. Like you can also have rest. And I think, yes, but I'm so like, I'm so glad that you said that rest brings you joy because it should. It, yes. It should. Yeah. And like, just when I don't have to, you know, feel guilty for resting, like that's the only way that I can like successfully get through my life. Right. So I'm like, I try to take a lot of joy and just enjoy my rest and something about, I guess, kind of related to disability joy is like, I love my space so much. And I think a lot of us who like maybe spend more time at home or like spend more time resting and being sick is like, we create such sanctuaries for ourselves. And like, my yeah. apartment and like my bedroom like really does feel like such a restful sanctuary and I'm I'm so glad that I kind of know how to do that for myself and like make a space like that 
yeah, like I can see your walls are like nice, like restful uh, tones and yeah. yeah, of all my like pictures and all my little plants around. So yeah, and you're what part of what part of Canada you're in again? I live in Calgary. Yeah, I forgot. I guess I forgot to say that in my intro, but I live in Calgary, Alberta. Oh, nice. I thought for some reason you were on the east coast with your uncle. Yeah, that's that's like where my family's from. So I definitely feel like a maritimer at heart, but I was born and raised here. Nice. Yeah. Um, one of the things I know we wanted to talk about today is um, we wanted to talk about because you are, did you, are you, let me pull up the question so I can answer it properly. Yeah. Uh, so you're, are you in med school right now? Or I'm you... not in med school. So what I'm doing is I'm doing a Bachelor of Health Sciences. So it's a bachelor program that's within a med school. So it's kind of like the first of its kind that I'm aware of because usually medical school is like graduate studies. So yeah. after you get your bachelor's. So it's like it's an honors degree um, that's like set up in a med school. So the actual like campus and stuff is like located in the medical school, but I'm not studying to become a doctor and I don't plan on that ever. <laughs> that's, that's okay. Um, so, but you know, because you're kind of in, you're, you're kind of in, not in med school, but you're in a place where med school happens. Can we yeah. talk about, and, and you know, you've also mentioned in your form that you deal with a lot of doctors and healthcare professionals, not really, you know, listening to you and not really believing you and we know that medical gaslighting is a real thing and it happens all the time can you talk a little bit about Kate how the the ableism you've experienced in the healthcare system and how it made you feel yeah definitely so this is something that um I think maybe a lot of people with like disabilities similar to mine can relate to but um kind of the whole approach for like treating my disease has like been like since I was a really young kid I was kind of expected to go through these like insane foot surgeries and sorry actually I don't want to use the word insane ableism but I've had to go through some really horrible difficult foot surgeries so pretty much um like my first surgery was when I was 12 years old and it was like a 12 hour long surgery so I pretty much had like every single bone and and tendon and all my feet cut fused all this kind of stuff. And to me, there's so much ableism embedded in the whole like way that we treat my disease, just because um, my disease, you know, it causes deformities, it causes difficulty with walking, it causes all these types yeah. of things. But something that people with my disease usually never will get access to is something like a wheelchair. So like rather than being able to use a wheelchair and not walk on the feet, we're expected to go through such horrific surgeries where like I really have like legitimate trauma from a lot of the surgeries I've had and like those initial days you know being post-op being in the hospital like being on morphine and like the hallucinations I was having like because of all the pain that I was having and like all of those types of things like I think there's just so much ableism embedded into that whole treatment structure oh where yeah especially as like a young kid, like at 12, 13 and 14, I was undergoing these massive surgeries. I missed like three to four months of school for each surgery. So it was like, you know, it's you such a hard the formative time. Years. It's such a time when you like form friendships and you like start, yeah. you know, liking, liking people and the hormones are going. And like I had surgeries when I was, you know, uh, 16 and 18 too. So right around like the teenage times when all the hormones are raging and you miss like, formative friendship making moments yeah. you're like oh sorry I was dealing with my body and like at 12 13 14 if they had just given you a wheelchair or given you other like options you could have seen disability as something that was different than you do because you wouldn't have been forced to overcome yeah I think exactly kind of and it's is. it's so messed up because it's like it never really is posed as a choice and I think that's kind of what a lot of people don't understand about being disabled is nothing that we really get to make is ever a choice because we're choosing between a horrible option or nothing else right and so it's like is of course like I consented to go ahead and have these surgeries but if they don't offer you anything else what kind of a choice is it really and yeah and it's also the way that they frame disability they, they frame it like you'll never walk again or you'll never walk or you'll never use it. they don't frame it like this wheelchair we could give you could give you freedom to be a wheelchair user. They don't frame it in a way that makes it at all positive. And I think that's a huge problem on their part. If they would give disabled people or you know people with 
disabilities, all of the, all the, all that language is fine. But if they would give us, you know, more positive options, maybe we would say, yeah, I'll choose wheelchair over like horrible foot surgery. Sure. Exactly. And like my disease is progressive and degenerative. And I've kind of had, I found like in periods of my life where I've had like really rapid periods of things like going and changing my body. So it's like they, you know, they really say like these surgeries are top of the line, all this kind of stuff. And then I had so many surgeries where like my tendons literally undid themselves like within like the initial first like month or two months wow. of them just going back to the place they were in before, like or before even like literally like ripping out some of the like medical devices that were used to hold them in place because my tendons were just like, nope, I know that I want to tighten up and I'm not going to like loosen up for anyone. So um, now I'm waiting to have two more massive surgeries starting in January. And so I think that's kind of the hardest part too, is that we're literally just expected to keep going and going and going because they won't give us anything else. So for example, like I can't get shoes that really fit my feet. Like it's almost impossible for me to have a pair of shoes I can wear that doesn't cause like cuts, bruising, all this sort of stuff on my feet. So it's like, yeah. why why should I have to change my body to get a shoe that fits when why they can make me make a me shoe? They, they really could. Like I've seen those shoes, those orth- orth- orthopedic shoes that they make that are like, you know, one's higher than the other. And like, we, like we've seen them since, since like the 80s, 70s and 80s. So like, why can't they just make you one? Exactly. And like, why can't they have that stuff paid for by our so-called universal healthcare system? Um, Yeah, like, even like the the braces that I wear, it's like, you know, you get one pair of braces for every two years, but the braces have like a foam lining, and it's supposed to be washed daily, but they give you one foam lining for two years. And so like, my legs are very bony and whatever like there's not much muscle mass and all this kind of thing and I have one little thin piece of padding to last me for two years like you know it's just things like that where I'm like if some of these things could be changed I wouldn't feel like there was so much if somebody just gave you a wheelchair at 12 you would be everything would be happier at least yeah and I wouldn't have to do and redo surgeries and then have people convince me to just give it another shot when I know it's not really going to work but like I've had some like I just being in the neurology clinic um for my whole life like one of my main kind of leaders of that group of physicians is like an orthopedic surgeon and like in my opinion it's like orthopedic surgeons have some of the most like horrifying kind of culture of ableism I guess I would say And so, you know, just there's this, like, one memory that always will, like, stand out in my mind of, like, being, like, about, like, 10 years old and kind of, like, arguing with the orthopedic foot surgeon because I was trying to make him understand that it's really hard that not only can I not find shoes that are, like, comfortable, but that it's a huge social issue when you're a woman who doesn't look disabled who can't wear the right shoes because there's tons of social situations where there's a dress code and um my doctor just like I can just always remember him like this big like 50 year old guy just kind of like over me like barking down at me being like well you should just be happy you aren't in a wheelchair and like it was like that kind of moment where I I would have been like and it stayed with me for so long but it took me so many years to even like understand why I was so hurt by him saying that yeah well, when you do get a wheelchair, we'll fucking celebrate it. It'll be <laughs> awesome, and I'll come out. I'll come out to Calgary, and we'll have a party because it's. I think you should you should push for that because yeah, it sounds like sooner than later you're gonna need one, and so we should, it should fucking be yeah. a celebration. Exactly, and like it's something that I am really working for right now. But it's so interesting because if you just kind of Google my disease, like in Google, like the first blurb that comes up about it, it says like. The disease causes this and this, but most people don't need a wheelchair because I've kind of realized that like that's like the end all be all of how so much of the time of how we define disability. And so it's like I've always kind of been on this like marker of where it's like, well, you're not really disabled and we're not really going to like give you these options and give you the freedom to be as disabled as you need to be. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. exactly. To that, I say, fuck them. You are disabled. I I support you being (laughs) disabled and you can be disabled as you need to be but you said earlier you asked you said earlier you think you're the first person with um i'm not going to say it right i'm just going to use the, the acronym cmt on the on the show you're not i looked i was oh. looking it up as we were talking which is fine i have a friend whose name i can't remember right now 
They're awesome. I know they're awesome, but they were on the pod a couple of years ago. I will connect the two of you because she's amazing. She oh, has a son. Oh, that'd be so awesome. And she, I can't remember her name, but we talked about, she does like sexuality and, and um, wellness courses. So I'll connect you with her because. Oh, that'd be amazing. I have to shout out to just like my favorite person that I know on the internet with my disease is like Sam Bosworth on Instagram and Twitter. Oh, nice. He's done so much awesome advocacy and like he's like, it's so special to first of all find someone on the internet with your disease, but also who like has, you know, similar beliefs and interests and all these different types of things. And so whenever I see Sam sharing about his experience, I'm always just like, yes, like I second that to like everything he says. Um, he's pretty awesome like I see stuff all the time too and I'm like you're that's amazing yeah he's so amazing but yeah like that's just like you know the biggest part of like the ableism that I've experienced in the healthcare system is that I really do feel like I've been expected to just go through so much and go through so many leaps and bounds to try to like avoid my disability and it's like I just constantly get you know even like until my like very most recent appointment like I just constantly have people saying well it's like if you can walk why wouldn't you want to and it's like all those types of things you know where it's like it doesn't matter how much pain I'm in or like what it does to me like I have to just be like dragging myself through because god if forbid walking I hurts you, sit down yeah, like if walking like physically physically hurts you why would you want to fucking do it if it hurts you yeah. no like exactly if it didn't hurt you, fine but if it does like you shouldn't be expected to have to wheelchairs are great they're freedom givers and you should yeah you should be allowed to have one yeah and like over the last few years like it's just like you know it's become so much harder to do so many things because anywhere where I would have to be on my feet for more than like an hour I just can't go you know and so it's just like it's so crazy that we have devices that can help with this stuff but it's like you face such an uphill battle when you're not quite disabled enough and it's like not that there's not privilege in that of course too like being a bit more able-bodied and all those sorts of things but I think that's like the hardest perception that I've had to try to deal with and um you know I find like so much of it too is like since I deal with a lot of chronic pain it's like we don't know how to treat chronic pain and so for most doctors it's really just them kind of giving you like life critiques so like for example like I had an occupational therapist and I was in for my appointment and talking about how it was really hard to like use my hands and all this and she's like well I noticed you're wearing rings do you think those are making your hands more weak from the weight of the rings and I'm like no what so it's like when I go to these appointments I feel like I have to do my hair a certain way dress a certain way do my makeup a certain way take off my rings god forbid I have like long nails or something because if there's anything they can go off of, it's like, oh, well, I think maybe you just have to do that. And so then to me, I'm like, well, then why do why does your clinic see me? Why have I been coming here since I was two years old? If there is not a disease, like it's where is the disconnect? Future OTs listening or and or any OTs listening right now, don't do that. Let yeah. disabled people wear what they want to wear, and their their disabilities have no bearing on what they want to wear if they want to wear rings to your appointment let them fuck it that's why i don't like yeah. that so whoever and if you have to you, like weak hands and wrists you should still use your strength to do winged eyeliner and if you can't do anything else that day at least you got your eyeliner done yeah like, i shouldn't have to make on. those types of choices no and you shouldn't be critiqued by an able-bodied ot who has no idea what you're talking about i think one of the things i want to touch on because i think it's important i have chronic pain too and I think it's important that we talk about for people listening and for doctors listening and for OTs listening, what is your chronic pain? If you could describe it, what yeah. does it feel like? Yeah. So my like biggest one is I have like constant nerve pain. So it's like throughout my body, I just like all day, every day, it's like constantly moving because it's like little zaps, you know, in all these different places. So I'm having like kind of electric nerve pain. And then I also just have like um, so much like aching and stiffness and soreness in all my muscles. So something with like a lot of people CMT get is like kind of more Charlie horses and those types of things. So it's not quite the spastic stuff, but it's like the severe tightening where it's like hard to move and like those types of things. So I get a lot of pain yeah. from that. Then because of the situation of my feet, I'm always dealing with like wounds and infections on my feet. So that's like a whole other layer of just pain and then with the ulcers that's like a whole other sharp pain (laughs) 
So like, even as we're sitting here right now recording this, you would say you're in pain? Yeah. Yeah. For me, it's like in my, um, it's so funny because I barely have any feeling in my leg, like lower leg down, but I constantly feel nerve pain in my toes, my feet, my fingers, my hands. So it's like, even though those areas of my body are really numb, all I feel is pain, which is kind of a hard thing, I think, for some people to understand. And it's like, I can't really tell the difference between like temperature or like pressure, things like that a lot of the time. So it's just, it's really hard for, or it's really easy for me to always be like hurting myself in so many ways. And um, yeah, because you, don't you know, recognize tons of falls, pressure. like all that kind of stuff. I had like this stretch where I just kept dislocating my knees constantly, like... <laughs> Yeah, so there's so much different pain, like, going on. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. (laughs) Such a fun game, and I I know that game. Last night when I was watching TV, my foot decided to have, like, a zap. Yeah. Like, a a zappy feeling out of nowhere. And I was like, cool, what's this? Yep. And it's just, like, it's really hard to focus on anything. Like, for me, it just, it takes such a mental toll and, like, such an energy and fatigue toll because my brain can never really be quiet when I'm constantly just, like, perceiving bad feelings, you know, throughout my body. And, like, yeah, like, I'll get zaps in my feet where it's, like, so bad that I need to, like, shake my foot and move it and, like, stuff like that, you know, and that's just kind of constant. Like, it's it's been like that for me since I was, like, about, like, seven years old, so – Wow, that's something that's such a long time to deal with this stuff. Now you live in Alberta, which is a province that I have so many feelings about. Especially <laughs> Me too. In the last couple couple of years, I have so many feelings about where you live. It's beautiful there. The average person there is kind of cool from what I from what I met. The politics of that place are beyond ridiculous and super ableist, especially right now mm-hmm. as we're kind of waxing and waning between a pandemic I don't want to say it's over we're like between waves I guess is where we are right now um and I so how do you think that we can address just ableism in Canada specifically but specifically in Alberta yeah so I have a lot to say on this because I did um for my like undergraduate thesis I did a study on media um news coverage of disability during the pandemic and so it's like pretty shocking, like just with what you've said with like the ableism. Um, there's so much ableism, like straight out of the mouths of our politicians. And so, oh, yeah. um, just one example. And like, I know everyone, of course, has different preferences on language, but, um, in Alberta, like all of our programs for disability, it's all the language is severely handicapped. And personally, wow. like, I definitely find the word handicapped derogatory. There's, um, some studies and stuff too where people thought like the origin of the word was to mean like hand and cap to kind of signify like a beggar begging for money and so um there's just like the language the naming in itself of where everywhere I go I have to be seen and called severely handicapped and like I have I don't like that language I mean I would say I wouldn't say that I'm severely disabled because that's what the doctor's been calling been saying since I was little so I will say severely disabled but I'll also say like I'm severely sexy too, so deal with that. Exactly, um, yeah. So for me, like whenever whenever someone says language like that, I always try to twist it around. But I think for politicians in Alberta and for programs to be actively using that language is really problematic. I think it's different when a disabled person decides to like reclaim that and play with it, and that's different. But if a if a program is using that to define you, I, that. I don't like that at all. Yeah. And it's so outdated. Like, just for example, when I was doing some of my research, um, I had looked up, like, the phrase handicapped and, like, a national health service from the UK website pops up being, like, never use this word. This is so offensive. This has not been in use since the 80s. So I'm like, how can our, like, peer country, like the United Kingdom, have this on their health service page? And then all disability programs in Alberta use this language because – there's just no political will to do anything. And so um, something else, too, is just like the Alberta government stopped the um, or sorry, they stopped indexing um, the disability like support programs, which means that usually they would like kind of match it each year for the to match the cost of inflation. And so by yeah. stopping de-indexing, they completely defunded. And so like, of course, we all know that like people's expenses have gone up so much 
the past couple of years, but um, they're no longer matching the disability like income programs to the cost of inflation, which that's blatant ableism (laughs) as if we don't have bills. And then I'm pretty sure like the same thing in Ontario is is happening. They're trying right now to our premier, who is a fucking ridiculous human, said that he would raise would raise the disability support rate by 5%, which would only bring it to about 1300 a month. So all Ontarians are like, what the fuck? That's like, that, it doesn't help exactly. us. Like, what are you talking about? And we're at record-breaking levels of inflation. So raising 5% doesn't mean anything when the cost of yeah. food, gra- like everything is going up more than 5%. You know? If for two years during the pandemic in Canada, the federal Canadian government could give us 2000 a month for really what was about, what was about 6 months to a year in the earliest days of the pandemic if they can do that without blinking an eye why can't disability support rates be the same Exactly and so something else that our premier has in Alberta Jason Kenney he said and same with some of his like party um people you know the ministers and stuff who work for him is they um all throughout the pandemic they have been trying to you know, cut back on age eligibility. And so they literally have like quoted statements, which I have in my thesis data um, of them saying, we'll make sure that these supports are are continue to be available for those who actually need them. But there's lots of people in this province who are on age for things like ADHD and anxiety and listing off all these diseases that they're saying are not a disease. And so it's like we literally have our politician explicitly calling out specific diseases and saying this is not a disability you aren't eligible for support and like i just can't believe that that's something that's even allowed such blatant discrimination sadly i can totally believe it it's not right it's horrible it's so wrong but i totally believe that it happened especially from your ridiculous premier who is just like why are you even talking he's ridiculous him and doug ford should be best friends because they believe the same like how are they not and Doug Ford's the Ontario premier like how are they not the same <laughs> They're just really, yeah they pretty much are the same like I'm they must be good friends <laughs> yeah I'm sure they know each other like wow but it's just like to, to to see our governments consistently remind us that our that our disabilities and our our conditions don't matter to them and won't be funded and won't be given the support that they deserve like I think everybody in Canada and in the U.S. should be given $2,000 a month tax-free, whether you can work or not, $2,000 a month just to, here you go, like universal basic income should be the standard. Exactly. I completely agree with you. And like, it's just um, in Alberta too, it's like, you know, we are kind of known of that whole like cowboy culture. And so the culture and like the myth of that independent, you know, like man on the frontier Strong, type of masculine, thing like, is so bullshit. pervasive. And it's almost like impossible to really get around, like just in the general population here, in my opinion. Um I mean, in your research, and I'm, I doubt you would have researched this, but I'm going to ask anyway, have you, did you come across any, like, hot disabled cowboys? Because that's, I mean. <laughs> no. If I did come across one, they'd probably be, like, in my apartment right now, so. <laughs> yeah, if you if you do come across one that happens to be queer, let me know. And, uh, yes. Well, yeah. Um, I, yesterday I was at like Canada's drag race had like a, they're doing like a tour in Canada. And so I was there last night and they had like all the like cowboy get up, all these like beautiful fits with like, you know, kind of these like different Western styles. So I liked that. That was pretty awesome. But most other cowboys uh, can just suck it. I, 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 I would love to go on Canada's drag race as like, as like a wheelchair using drag race, but I would love it so much. I mean, I'd be horrible at drag, but it'd be so fun to do for a night. It would be so fun. And it's, it's really disappointing, honestly, like the ableism that's been in that show. I think lots of people have probably talked about this before, but like there's been so much ableism in RuPaul's drag race, which is really sad because, you know, the queer community can be so much more like open and welcoming in some ways, but. In a lot of ways, not so much, but, but. Yeah, we we should be. So hey, Canada's drag race, like Brooklyn Heights, call me. Let's yes. do something together. Yeah. Literally. 
I like, I can um, help with like your makeup or something. I'll find a way to be involved. <laughs> <laughs> Alicia, I I will I will take you up on that for sure. Be so much fun. Um, we talked about genitalia earlier. Fun. So I want to do like a like I want to do like a little adjacent question. How has your disabilities impacted your dating life? Like how how has how have they played a role in that? Yeah, it's it's impacted it so much, um, just like everything else, I would say. So um, when I was younger, uh, my disability was like more like something I could hide. And so I definitely did that as much as I could. Um, I kind of started like, you know, becoming sexually active and stuff at a pretty young age because I had a really poor self-image and didn't really see that much worth in myself and so sex was kind of a way for me to feel like I was like overcoming that because that's a way that you can be useful and valuable and wanted by people and so that was something that I very much leaned into but in like a really unhealthy way and especially just like being younger and not understanding you know just a lot of the stuff that I was dealing with and why I was kind of feeling that way so when I was younger it was like you know, kind of almost more of like a coping mechanism, I guess, to feel like I was overcoming my disability or something like that. And then as my disability has progressed, it's just become so much harder. So it's like, as I haven't been able to hide my disability, it's just something that's like a lot harder to deal with. And so there's just a lot less people that I ever would be interested in because it's really hard to like find someone who you know can like respect you um, like as a disabled person and all. Um, so I guess like, you know, it's like, it's a bunch of like little things where it's it's always kind of so in between and confusing for me, I guess. Cause it's like, if I'm out in a certain place wearing like a certain outfit, you wouldn't notice that I'm disabled. But then if I'm going to go back to someone's house or something like that, like I can't walk without my AFOs. So it's like in Canada, of course, there's, you know, it's usually like accustomed to take off your shoes when you go in someone's house, things like that. So right. it's like, yeah. it's kind of hard for me to like go over to somebody's place or like meet up with them there like not knowing you know maybe how accessible like their house would be to me like all those sorts of things I think that's something that's become really difficult because I can't really meet someone and then like go to their house shortly after because it's like unless I feel comfortable enough kind of like talking to you about my disability in advance I don't want to just like come in the front door and be like ah uh well I can't take my shoes off because uh like you know like this whole type of thing that it's it's tough and so it's like so much of like what the setbacks have been for me too is just like there's so much fear and you know so much like bad experiences come carrying over that for me it's just it's really hard to want to try to date and to want to try oh, to yeah. get myself out there it it's doesn't feel worth it I, a lot of the time I agree with you it's not something that I ever want to really do because like the internalized ableism and the anxiety and the fear and all the things like I am 38 now and I haven't ever gone on a second date. And it's like, well, yeah. and part of that is because ableism, most of that's because ableism. Yeah. And I just would rather stay at home and watch a show yeah. or hire a, or hire like a sex worker when I really want to have sex. Like I'd rather pay for that experience than like have to worry about does, do they like me? Do they really want to be here? Like I'd rather give them money than be like, oh, be my friend. I mean, yeah. yeah, it's expensive and like governments should be funding sex work for disabled people, but of course they won't. But like, you know, the whole idea of going on a date with somebody and having to reveal just how disabled I am is exhausting. Exactly. And like, I am I just appreciate that you talk about it so much because like, kind of like I said before, it's like, unfortunately, like for most friends, family that are able-bodied, it's like their only kind of perspective on the situation is like, you need to keep trying, you need to keep putting yourself out there, all these types of things. And like, people don't understand of like, when you are doing so much just to get through the day, like in terms of disability, when you're doing so much to manage your health, like in relationship to your disability, it's like, I cannot continue to put myself in situations where I'm going to be treated poorly or like, feel horribly after and like those types of things. And it's like, it'd be great if I could go out and try, but there's not even a safe space for me to do that most of the time. So it's like, would I rather stay home and just like be able to enjoy myself or have to like go through more trauma and these types of things? 
Yeah, exactly. And I, I couldn't agree more with you. And like, you know, you were talking earlier about how the overarching mentality of people there is, I don't remember if you said you were queer or not, but I'm going to assume not. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, then awesome. Amazing. All right. Well, but but still, you said the overarching like um, mentality is like independent cowboy kind of deal thing happening. So like, it's really hard to talk about disability when the mentality is pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Exactly. Like, be this independent person when you're like, well, what about interdependence? Like, what about that? Why can't we talk exactly. about that? Exactly. And it's like so much of like kind of with like straight men and stuff here too. It's like very much the thing where like people want like a pretty girl to like wear the heels and wear whatever and like get have a baby for them. And like all of these yeah. types of things where it's like as disabled women, like these sorts of expectations can be so horrifically like challenging because you can never you can't overcome that. You'll never you meet it. Exactly. And like, I can't just be the one cleaning the house all day and making dinner and all this kind of stuff because I can barely do that for myself. And so it's like, <laughs> you know, like there's, it's just, it feels like it can be so hard to overcome, but it's like within my, the My favorite is, I'd say it's like a little when, bit. Sorry. No, no, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say within the queer community, I think it's like a little bit better, but of course it's still not magically different my my feeling of queer men is as much as i i thirst after them and believe me i do they're also the worst <laughs> they're the worst um and you know my thing my favorite is when they say to me on an app like oh i'm looking for a really fit person like somebody exactly. who goes on a hike and somebody who goes out and somebody who does all this stuff and i'm like well i guess we're not going on a date because i can't do any of that so. yes so I talked about this on my uncle's show, but like I have a little folder where I've like I've saved Tinder profiles and like there's this one Tinder profile where it literally says word for word, I'm looking for someone to go on hikes with. So you must be able bodied. And it's like this guy probably doesn't even know that able bodied like means non-disabled. He just thinks yeah. that means like fit or something. Yeah. But it's things like that where I'm constantly seeing that on like dating apps and stuff. And it's constantly people wanting to do all those types of thing and like especially as a kid I guess too this is something I always got a lot of pushback was from is like people always just ask kids like what sports do you play what do you do all those types of things so then being someone who cannot play sports it's like this automatically like people have an issue with that they take issue in a way that I do not understand like why that offends you if someone says that they aren't like an athlete but it really does offend some people oh yeah they get really they get really upset about it and it's just like well what do you do what do you do then? Like, if, if you don't play like, soccer, if you don't play hockey, what do you do? Like, And you're like, I'm a happy disabled person. I'm sorry. Like, what yeah. I, yeah. I live my life. Like, uh, um, one of the things you mentioned, and one of the things I love talking about around disability that we don't talk about enough is disability jealousy. And one of the things you put in the forum was <laughs> that you get jealous of other people with different disabilities. So I wanted to kind of explore that with you. Yes. Because we don't really talk about that. So talk away. Tell me all about that. Yeah. So this is petty and silly. And I'm going to say that like total disclaimer, of course, like I don't think any person with any disability has it easy by no means. But I have always been so frustrated by the fact that just nobody knows or has any inkling of an idea of like what my disease or disabilities are. And so it's so hard because I always like as a kid, especially when I was younger, it's like, you know, like you hear when people say like, oh, I have cancer or like I have something like this. And like the way that like people kind of rally behind people, it's like that automatic, automatic reaction of just like, we want to help you. This must be so hard. All these types of things. Whereas it's like for me, I'm like, I'm disabled. And it's like, what disease do you have? Then it's just something to them that doesn't mean anything to them. And then people are just like oh, okay so like yours isn't that bad then or like yeah. you know things like that and so it's like it's such a weird type of thing where I'm like I know it wouldn't be easier if I had a different disease I don't mean that by any means but it's just like sometimes like you do just almost get jealous for that recognition which is so weird and hard to d- explain but it's really frustrating when like the biggest experience of your life is something that people have never heard of and like will never yeah. learn about um, I would never consider as a disability. It would never like 
Exactly. And so just like one example kind of that I like to think about a lot is like multiple sclerosis, just because it has quite similar um, like symptoms. And so that's more the central nervous system, whereas mine's peripheral. But um, it's just like constantly we hear people talk about MS. Everyone knows what MS is. And it's it drives me crazy that nobody knows what mine is when it's literally such a similar disease. And like even on like the H application forms where they kind of have like the the uh, boxes that you check for what your diseases are. Like when they yeah. list the neuropathies and all those diseases, like MS is listed, but mine has to go into other. And so my kind of like personal belief behind this of like why it is that way is because most people with my disease are um, diagnosed as like a young kid and you never really were like a normal non-disabled person. Whereas a lot of yeah. the time with MS, it's like a normal person, quote unquote you know, and then it's kind of a tragedy because they get it. And that's just my opinion. Yeah, yeah. I have no idea if that's true or not, but it's always no, frustrating I think, to me. I, I think you're right. And I think, you know, having having a box for others is frustrating because it's like, well, why can't it be recognized as a real thing? When you when you say other in the, those boxes, it's like, then, then the doctor has to go look it up and figure out what it is and like exactly. talk through it. And, and it's like, there's yeah. millions of people around the world with my disease too. And I just would really like it if we could stop acting like we don't have needs and we don't need support because we do well maybe this will maybe what i'll do is i'll do i used to do a series on this show which i haven't done in forever but i used to do a series called like uh what did i call it um what's your condition and then i would talk i would like review conditions maybe what i'll do is like talk about cmt every as a canadian Every time I think of CMT, I think of country music. Television. Yes. Every time. That's I another think of CMT. thing that I get in Calgary, especially. <laughs> and they're like, you have CMT, country music television. So every time I think of that, that's where my brain goes. And it's funny that you live in Calgary because when Minnie said CMT, I was like, oh, like country music. Exactly, right? It's confusing. And like, um, that's something else that's really interesting too, is just, um, you know, like usually. Uh, for a lot of the different like disease patient groups, you'll have like kind of a national association, all those types of things. There's no Canadian association for my disease. Like we're kind of just like turned to the American one, which is like the hereditary neuropathy foundation. So it's even things like that because it's like there's so many of us. Like this is not a like that rare no. comparatively speaking. So even you know, to me, I think that we don't have like a national patient organization and a national group like why like and again i think it really is just because like the less knowledge and recognition and the less that you can band together the more the doctors can say well you need to just keep on trying and have a positive attitude i say fuck that you can be as sad as you want to be and yes be better honey (laughs) yeah be petty be better be disabled it's all fine i could sit and talk with you all day it was this was so fun and thank you so much for being here today um i want to make sure that people if they liked what they heard today, which is, of course they should, because it was great. How do they, how can they get a hold of you? How can they support you? How do they follow you? Yeah, so you can follow me on Instagram. I don't really post a lot. As I said, I'm pretty shy, but you can follow me on Instagram. My handle is K and then the number eight and then M-C-L-E-N. Um, so I think, Andrew, you can probably post that, but yeah, yeah, if you yeah, want to talk about disability, like I am always looking to get to know and talk to more disabled people. That's like, honestly, the best part of my day most of the time, if I can do that. So please reach out if you do want to talk. Yeah. Especially disabled Canadians with CMT. Yes. Like, when I remember my friend's name and I feel like such an asshole because I literally blanked and I'm like, who are they again? They were great. When I remember their name, I will link you. I'll send you an email. To, I'll send you like a intro email and be like, you guys should talk. They're really awesome. Yeah, that'd be so awesome. I really appreciate talking to you. And I just appreciate your podcast and all the work you do so much. Oh, no, it was such a pleasure. And I am so glad that we got to connect. And I'm so glad that like, it's so funny you say you're shy because two minutes in, you were like, I have sores on my genitals. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like, shy? What do you mean shy? No way. So like. But it was so fun and easy to chat with you today. It was really a really a joy. Awesome. It was for me too. Thank you. Thank you so much. And Kay, we'll talk really soon. Okay. Bye. Bye. What would you put in your starter pack of disabilities if you're a young person 
living with disabilities, tell me at andrewandandrewgerza.com what's in your disability starter pack. I'd love to hear from you. What your what would you put in your disability starter pack or your condition starter pack? Um, I'd love to hear from you. So please send those emails along. I would love to do that. Um, and we did a thing a long time ago where we have minisodes for a while where you wrote me letters and I read them back to you. I'd love to bring that back also. If you have some letters or some things you want to write in, in to the show about your disability experience, I would love to read them for you on the air. So consider writing that and send them to me at andrew at andrewgerza.com. I would love to read them and hear from you. And make sure you put Disability After Dark in the title so I know what it's about. But I would love to hear from you. And thank you all so much for being here. And if you're listening back and this was your first episode, thank you for um, listening. And I hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back next week with the first episode of our repackaged Popcorn and Power Chairs where I review media. And you'll hear episode... 336 of the main show in two weeks. Thanks for listening, friends. Bye! Alright, friends, that's another episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories. I'm, of course, your delectable daddy host, Andrew Gerza. Thank you so much for being here and shining a light on these stories with me. Thank you. If you want to follow my work, you can go to www.andrewgerza.com. Anytime, all my links are there. If you want to support the show in any way, we, you can leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Or you can go to patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark and that will give you access to the show one day early, completely ad-free for as little as $1 a month or $5 a month or more if that works for your budget. Also, there are yearly amounts available there. So if you wanted to do that, that would be great. If you're able to, I would appreciate it. If you want to be a guest on the show, please email me directly at disabilityafterdarkpod at gmail.com or andrew at andrewgerza.com. I would love to have you and shine a light on your story. Thank you so much for listening to these episodes and supporting disability content by listening to Disability After Dark. And we will see you for our next episode in two weeks. Thanks, friends. Talk to you soon. Bye! Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was created, recorded, and produced by Cripple & Co. Productions and Andrew Gerza. Any and all use of materials, graphics, audio recordings, etc. cannot be used or distributed without express permission. If you would like to use an episode of the podcast or license an episode of the podcast on your website, Please consider emailing Andrew Gerza and Crippling and Co. Productions at disabilityafterdarkpod at gmail.com. Copyright 2023.